I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. So today I'm interviewing McKinney Campbell, who has been working with me for almost a year. She chose my program and me as a coach to give herself the support she needed on the day she decided to quit drinking. And in today's episode, this is her kind of coming out as a woman in recovery, because like so many of us, this is a very vulnerable time, early sobriety, early recovery. We have to make sense of what has happened, who we are, how we want to move forward before we're ready to share that with the world. So McKinney's ready, and she's going to share her story of how as a highly empathic teacher and professional counselor who's been working with poverty-stricken communities, she was neglecting herself in the efforts uh, to help others, and that left her feeling like a mouse stuck in a maze. And so today she's going to share what changed for her, what allowed her to mark a line in the sand and step over it. And she talks about how finding me as a coach and then also some other people in her lives, including her sons and her doctor, to give her a safe space. Um, that Having that safe space gave her the courage and the support she's needed to heal. We talk about everything that she's learned and gone through and how she now views the triggers in her life, the things that upset her, as a call to practice self-care, as she's recognized through her journey to what we refer to as emotional sobriety, she's recognized that turmoil is coming from inside her body and not out in the world, the circumstances that she's looking at or struggling with, and how one of the biggest changes and shifts she's made is she used to think that being strong meant not asking for help meant that you got this and you don't need anything and how her definition of strength has evolved to now include vulnerability and self-compassion and how she is now her own best friend. So enjoy this episode with McKinney. So what made you decide to do this? Oh, the podcast? Yeah. So uh, first and foremost, when you asked me, I sent my sons my whys on why I stopped drinking. And I did it because we were having some hard conversation. I raised them as a single mom. We're on a group chat together. Like, we have each other. This is my immediate. I told them I was going to send them something. And, like, I wrote out these whys, like, I think when we first started. Yeah. Um, That was one of the earlier exercises. But I never shared it with them. 
I just felt like this was a good time to share with them. And I shared it. And then you emailed me about the podcast, ironically, that same day. And I was like, oh, I don't think anything is ever a coincidence. Uh You know what I mean? Uh I believe in alignment. And so I felt like when you asked immediately, it was like, wait a minute, am I ready to share this story? Because if I'm sharing with you, that means I'm sharing it publicly. Yeah. Because I don't know who's tuning in. But then I said, like, I had a bit of fear, but then I had some excitement. And so in the excitement was a freedom and a liberty to share my story and and be okay with my truth. Yeah. And regardless of what. And then I thought about all of the people who this can help as I, you know, listen to podcasts throughout my recovery. I heard myself and a lot of those being interviewed and that helped me. So who can I be of help to? Yeah. 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 So you're right on track for about where I was, you know, I mean, I told some immediate people in my life and talked to some things, but it was about eight months because I quit drinking also in April and it was Mm -hmm. November or December before I ever put my first post on social Mm. media. I wasn't coaching yet or doing anything. And I guess what it speaks to is no matter when you do it, that's a thing, you know, it feels scary, Mm -hmm. but you know, and, and waiting until you're ready is really important. And at the same time, it does in my mind or in my experience, it did take me to the next level. Like, it, it just allowed it to be part of the past instead of something I was working on or going through. It kind of closed the chapter, you know, this is who I am now. And I had to experience first times of people knowing and reacting to me. Mm-hmm. And it was, that was difficult and also, mm-hmm. okay. You know, yeah. and then it was over. Nobody cares <laughs> what I'm going through or what I'm doing. Nobody cares. So, that's, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. I, I, I like that's one of the things that I've experienced is all the first starting in April. It's pre-summer. The summer wind down. The vacations. Just everyone kind of realizing, oh, you're not drinking or, you know, you're at the barbecues, the family gatherings, holidays right here. I just finished the holiday party, um, you know, at my job. So it's like your life is not revolving around drinking. You know what I mean? But it's so much more that I'm filling it up with. And I'm happy. Sleep is amazing. (laughs) Better than sex. No offense to anybody who has contributed in the department for me. No offense. But sleep is, at least at this point in my life, as good as yeah. it gets. Yeah. Oh, very much so. Very much so. And um, so it's, it's, it's okay. And then, just like you said, people know and they don't care. Yeah. And so if I'm out and I'm socializing, okay, let me have a substitute. Yeah. Yeah. And let's keep it going, you know? Yeah. For me, this was also what I would be able to identify as a pivotal moment by deciding to recover out loud. That also led me more towards coaching because people started reaching out. People started saying, can you tell me a little bit about that 
you know, allowed me to put a a defining stance on who I was and what I had gone through personally, but then it moved me professionally towards what I'm doing now, which is absolutely living my best dream of a career. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. Thank God you are. And thank God you are. (laughs) If we could start with an introduction of who you are and maybe your background, whatever you're comfortable sharing. Okay. Um, I am McKinney Campbell. I am so many things, a mother, a daughter, a sister, a teacher, a counselor. I am the professional who helped so many others, but denied myself the help that I desperately needed. And I finally found my way. And I am living the third quarter of my life in my truth. That's who I am. Do you want to start with just sharing why you decided to stop drinking? How you identified that as the action that you needed to take? The journey started, I want to say, I want to say April 10th is the first day, right? But pre-April 10th, I was in a maze. I felt like a mouse in a maze. And I was trying to find my way out. And I kept on bumping against walls. But I was seeking, I had an awareness and I was seeking to get the help that I needed to not feel this way. And I called two people. I called my son because I needed someone who who knew me and I can always go back to for that accountability and someone familiar. And then I kept on Googling, like, I don't want to do AA. I want to do like, is there some sort of holistic recovery or something? So I just kind of like put it in Google and I was just, things were popping up and you, your coaching program popped up and I read through it. It said emotional sobriety. And I read through the description and I was like, this sounds really good. This sounds like this could be it. It's that um, phrase, like when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And I jumped on it right away because I knew this was what I needed. And I knew that with the support of my son and also the support of a program that was being offered, I felt ready to take on this challenge. I was ready to find my way out of that maze. Can you describe what it was like and how you knew that this was different? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but you probably decided to quit drinking a lot of times. (laughs) I did. I knew like a lot of times I knew that this is kind of starting to get out of control. This is starting to be repetitive. This is not good for me. You know, it's not good for my health. I'm not getting any sleep. It's not helping me like wind down was supposed to help me wind down and it wasn't helping me wind down. And I didn't know why, you know, you do the social drinking and the thing that really alarmed me more when I felt like I wasn't doing it socially anymore, I was doing it alone. And this this is a problem. And I need help. I need help. One thing that I did was just, like I said, the awareness. The other thing was I opened up to my doctor and we talked a little bit about anxiety. You know, we talked about some of the things that I was feeling and, you know, he kind of thought it was anxiety. And as I was rethinking my history and felt like, yeah, you know, I've had a lot of traumatic experiences, I would say personal, but community. And I've been an educator, a counselor for over 20 years in some um, very needy communities, poverty stricken. And obviously I'm going to, as a helper, I'm going to also take on that trauma, but 
I wasn't letting it go. You know, I was holding on to a lot of it. There was things that was causing me some of this anxiety and I was numbing it. I wasn't dealing with it in a healthy way and I needed help. It sounds very similar to what I would identify as one of the core things that made that day different was admitting that I needed help to another person, to saying it out loud, not just promising in my own head, but getting out of my head and actually exposing myself and saying, I'm not okay. Right. Right. And, and I was just thinking today that has to be normalized. Yeah. We're losing too many people. There's too much going on in the world and we don't normalize asking for help and that being okay. Like what's wrong with that? Can you describe what it feels like, what it felt like to ask for help? What did you think it would feel like? Because for most of us, we avoid and procrastinate and deny. And I, the worst thing in the world is asking for help and admitting there's a problem. Can you describe your experience of actually doing that? The experience was a bit scary. Because you're you're confronting your truth. You may feel a little ashamed because you have to admit that something's wrong. You know, so it's a bit scary. But I think that if you're asking for help in a safe space, and we know who our safe space, we know where our safe spaces lie. There's no harm, no foul in that. Someone can stand in your truth, be a stand for you. It's a safe space to be. So it was scary, but it was, it felt safe at the same time. And I felt encouraged. And I think having, of course, I told you a family member, but also a coach. And that was one of the things that made me want to be a coach. I think coaches hold you accountable. They um, create a space for you to unravel and strengthen who you are and, and pull out all of the answers that are already within you. So it's, it's just creating, making sure that that space is created in a safe way. Can you articulate the change in your mindset where as a drinker, until you stopped, you were hide, defend, protect, stay, Mm -hmm. stay hidden Mm -hmm. versus the mindset that you experienced when you found a safe space you found it for yourself and then found it to be safe. How that changed your mindset about all of this? So as a drinker, I thought the wind down every evening was my self-care. I thought that was part of my self-care. But after doing it, it never felt really good to me. You know, it was exhausting. It was exhausting thinking about what did I just do? Why I'm not feeling the way that I desire to feel. It's not making me feel this way. I felt like I was in that maze, in that trap, and I needed a way out. I think it was actually creating more anxiety. My doctor actually described it as, it's like you're drinking a six-pack of Coke before you go to bed. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, really? Like, what? You know what I mean? So it's doing the opposite of what what it is that I'm thinking that it's doing. And as like a non-drinker, you know, self-care looks just so differently. It's, I'm more aware, I'm more intentional. My thoughts are 
you know, you're still going to think what you think, but what you do with those thoughts and, and just understanding that um, the thoughts create the feelings, right? And the feelings, you can feel whatever you feel, but you can kind of put it in context. And so it's like I'm in my head as a non-drinker, I'm in my head, but it's a good in my head. I'm able to sort things out. You know, I'm able to understand, oh, this is why I'm thinking this way or that, you know, and then move on. You know what I mean? And not stay there. Giving myself a lot of grace. I'm literally like my own best friend and learning so much about me in a good way. So it sounds like self-care your idea of it has shifted from what you think knee-jerk response to what we think of as self-care. And you become somebody who evaluates self-care or anything else by its experience of it. And does it actually make you feel good? And it also sounds like you are able to put in some separation between your reaction to everything you think and feel mm-hmm. versus evaluating the thought, evaluating the feeling as to whether or not it needs to be true and then choosing a different way to respond to it. Without a doubt. And as a drinker, you have less control. You you have less ability to do that. And so like as a drinker, Everything was heightened. The thoughts were heightened and it was exhausting. And so I knew I had to make a change. And it wasn't just, you know, because some people say, oh, everything in moderation. It just doesn't work for me. I'm okay with that. Can you articulate some of the thoughts that you believed about yourself? Maybe that you believed about alcohol, maybe Mm -hmm. that you believed about self care. But Mm -hmm. what thoughts? kept you on that hamster wheel. And what new thoughts do you think now, new beliefs that you have, when you do feel bad and icky and exhausted, how are you thinking differently? Like specifically some of the thoughts. Yeah. One thought is that I have to be strong. I have to push through just kind of a lot of things like in my life, when I talk about like the community trauma and the personal trauma, things happen and you have to move on. It could be anything, I would say police brutality or things that happen in my community uh, that has an immediate effect on me, especially me being in education. Yeah, we get it, we, we have to be aware of it. Things are happening, but the next day you have to pretend as if it doesn't exist. So you store it, you store it. So you have to be strong. Those are those thoughts that kind of came up for me. And so it's like, you're, you're not dealing with how you truly feel. Instead, you're thinking it, feeling it, but not really feeling it, storing it, stuffing it. Stuffing. And so, yes, stuffing. So as a non-drinker, what I discovered, the thought, if the thoughts are still going to be the same, right? Because the circumstance is still the same. Yes. And so now there's this feeling behind the thought and circumstance, you know, and if I need to feel what I need to feel, I'm going to feel it. If I need to talk about it a little bit more, if I need to cry about it, if I need to, you know, what do I need to do to stay in that feeling? Because that's important that I'm able to decide what I need to do with it. 
if I need to build, if I need to talk about it, if I need to cry, if I need to rest, you know what I mean? I can work through it. So it sounds like you're still strong and even yeah. stronger. So yeah. how have you redefined what it means to be strong? Repeat that question again. When you were a drinker, you thought mm-hmm. the the words in your head were, I need to be strong. I mean, mm-hmm. just keeping it simple. I need to be strong. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what that meant being strong meant was keeping going, not yeah. stopping, maybe yeah. not processing the feelings, but just yeah. going. What does it mean to be strong to you now? There's strength in vulnerability. There's strength in um, in, in grace. There's strength in, in asking for help. I view strength in a different way now. I don't have to be strong, you know? Yeah. I can let go. That attitude is making you strong. So, you know, I think it's these external perceptions of the ideal. And we perceive that somebody who's strong is not also vulnerable. We, we, we think that somebody who is happy does not also feel feelings of anger, frustration, and sadness. And so it's, it's a very limited viewpoint that being strong does not include weakness or vulnerability, as you said. So speaking to self-care, can you give me some just practical day-to-day examples of self-care and what it looks like to be a person who practices self-care beyond just not drinking? The importance of finding like help and recovery in a holistic manner for me, really encompasses um, my mental, my emotional, my physical, my spiritual. So self-care for me means trying to incorporate all of that in a daily practice. So when I say um, mental, emotional, that may mean, you know what, I have a coaching group that I'm doing and I have a therapist that I'm seeing. My physical, I enjoy movement. I I know that it's important for me to move every day. I love hot yoga, but if my body is telling me, you need to rest, just listening to my body. And then the spiritual piece is, it could be meditation. I practice Buddhism for over a decade. So, you know, I chant. Self-care is immersion. I immerse myself in books or podcasts or anything related, anything that's a feel good to me that helped me on that journey. Now, I'll be honest, I immersed myself early on with the recovery, but then after a while, I needed something different. So it it was phases, but that's what self-care looks like for me today. So it sounds like you echo a little bit of my opinion or what I discovered that it's not about the alcohol. No. So it's important in those early days to reprogram your beliefs about alcohol to correct the misinformation and the inaccuracies of how alcohol affects our body and our brain. That's important. But once you do that, it's really not about the alcohol. It's about um, caring for yourself. It's about setting boundaries. I've done that a lot because I was unaware that I I wasn't, but I needed to. It's about honoring what you need and who you are. I've discovered 
I am a person who sometimes needs to be alone. You know, I can get easily overstimulated. I'm, I'm very highly empathic. Sometimes I need time and space to be with myself, honoring my needs. You know, it's, a, it's about a lot more than just alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Alcohol was covering up the fact that we didn't know how to deal with our sensitivities yeah. and we didn't know how to set boundaries. Alcohol use disorder is as simple as we painted ourselves into a corner. That's really all it is. And then once yeah. you realize you can walk out of it, it loses its appeal as a topic of conversation just doesn't matter. So what does it look like to be emotionally sober in a situation that is drama and chaos or difficult or challenging or threatening? Like what does emotional sobriety look like for you? So it could be very triggering when drama or situations come up because you're no longer drinking. It doesn't mean that that is not going to be present, right? So when it is present, I just deal with it a lot differently. I'm more aware or in tune with what's going on within my body. Uh, I know if it's triggering me that it's a call of action for me to just the awareness and for me to act. And, and I may not need to act. It may mean I need to go and just be by myself. It may mean that I need to talk to one of my trusted coaches or go-tos. It may mean that I need to be okay with being uncomfortable. I remember one time you told me being comfortable with uncomfortable situations. Yeah. I experienced that and I'm just, I sit in that and I'm like, well, why, you know, I may ask myself, well, why am I uncomfortable? And okay, well, maybe I'm giving too much thought to this. or Maybe I'm giving too much thought to that or just, and just be. That's an essential skill because in that space is how instead of reacting to a trigger, you give yourself the space to respond instead of reacting. You're responding intelligently. And if you can't tolerate the discomfort, then we're just knee jerking ourselves through life, trying to feel better all the time and not realizing that what I heard you say is you've recognized that the trigger is not out there. The trigger isn't the alcohol or the comment or the chaos or the fight or whatever. The trigger is an emotional reaction inside. And right. by realizing that when there's a trigger, it's a call to action for self-care, not to make somebody else change their behavior or to go fix something. It's, it's to tune into what's going on. Right. With you. Yeah. And how you're reacting to it or responding to it. Yeah. And and I like that. It's a call for self-care. You get to choose how you're going to care for yourself in that way. So that power comes right back to you yeah. to do something. And I like that. That's been a huge relief for me, you know, and talking about thoughts that help. One of the thoughts that really works out for me is the moment I realize I'm triggered. Like it takes a minute, right? You know, it takes a minute to realize I'm upset and running around like a chicken with my head cut off and trying to control my environment. The moment mm -hmm. I realize I'm doing that, I'm like, oh, thank God. I don't have to fix all of these people and all of these problems. <laughs> no, it's like a huge relief to me. All I have to do is like go lay down on my bed and breathe or go sit in my car and be quiet or yeah. write in my journal. Like, oh, thank yeah. God. 
I'm my problem. It's amazing. Right, right, right. It's not as big as we're making it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, for and so that's why, like, when I ask about the thoughts, the the actual words in your head, like for me, when I realize the problem isn't out there, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm my own problem. Thank God, I can fix me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing in coaching training why you're doing that, how that's different from your training and professional experience as a counselor, what's calling you into that and what are your plans with it? What called me into coaching was I'm a lifelong learner. I love to learn. And so when I embarked on this experience with you in coaching, I really, I loved it because those skills are a little different than my counseling skills. So with counseling, it's more or less the client looking to you for solutions, resolutions. And with the coaching, the client has the answers. So my job is to coach them to unravel what's already within. And so that was very intriguing for me. And I wanted to know, well, I want to know the skills. I want to know how do you get there and, you know, what do you need to learn? So I am doing the holistic coaching training program to get certified as a holistic coach. I finished the program in March, so I'm almost there. You know, I was a counselor for over two decades in a school working with high school students. And post-COVID, I switched gears. I came out of the school's and started working uh, in corporate. I had this yearning to help again, you know, and I said, I must be missing this counseling piece. Learning the whole coaching program and the difference, I said, wow, this kind of allows me to do something outside of schools and to help a broader community, but still be in that field of service. I am building my social media platform And I can be found via email if anyone is interested in speaking to me about my journey. So are you taking any one-on-one clients at this time? I'm starting very slowly, but I have two one-on-one clients that I'm seeing and working with right now. So I am opening that door slowly. But surely. So are you going to work with Mm -hmm. people who are wanting to quit drinking or a broader context in terms of recovery? Definitely women who may be working through recovery, sobriety. Also young women who want guidance as it relates to decision-making future, things of that nature. So it's very broad, but it's definitely women. I will put your contact information in the show notes, your Gmail, so that anybody listening who'd like to reach out and discuss working with you, they can do that. Thank you. Is there anything that we haven't covered? So one of the things I wanted to touch on is the transformation for me began with me even sharing this and participating in the podcast, like normalizing talking about such a personal thing is huge. Allowing myself to be vulnerable and giving myself grace is huge. I really thank you for allowing me to share and be a part of your podcast. I think that the step for me just to 
be here, it will open up a lot of doors, but also help a lot of people. That's my hope. Yeah. Well, it does. Each one of us that recovers out loud lights the path and the path is getting brighter. And the path is also, it's clear that there's not just one path. You know, you get to choose how you respond to everything, including finding yourself painted into a corner, holding a bottle of wine or whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. so the more of us do this out loud and refuse to conform to social expectations of what it means to quit drinking or refuse to identify as alcoholics or refuse to identify as broken or not normal, the more of us that do that, the more other people are like, huh, you know, I I think I could maybe not drink and probably feel better. I mean, a hundred percent of people who drank less would feel better. There's that statistic I just made up, but it's true. (laughs) I want to speak to something that you're saying about the learning how to coach. I'm actually launching a group program in January and it's going to be about self-coaching, but I'm putting in the component within the group to coach each other. I have no desire and no intention, zero of ever creating a coaching program like the one you're in or the one I've graduated from, but it's so valuable to learn how to coach ourselves. Yes. And in order to do that, you kind of have to play around with that, with other people that, that reflecting what you hear without judgment and practicing empathy. That's why I think that's such an important part of recovery is not becoming a coach but learning how to coach your damn self. (laughs) Yes, yes, right, exactly. Because you're your best friend. You know what I mean? We're in our heads all the time. So imagine being able to, those same skills, you know, that a coach is is providing us, imagine being able to provide that to ourselves. Yeah. Very powerful. I think part of coaching allows us to de-identify with our thoughts. So just like when I work with you or other clients, I'm hearing what you're saying, mm-hmm. hearing what we're thinking and saying, well, how's that working out for you? Self-coaching is such a valuable tool. And I think going through a coaching program is amazing, but not everybody can do that. And just learning the skills for self-coaching that begin with not believing everything you think. Right. Step one. And reframing that. A reframe. Oh, I love a good reframe. Realizing there's a thousand different perspectives and that the story you're telling yourself is only one version is the key out of crazy town. (laughs) Right. Right. I love it. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to rate and review the show so that other people can find it. I really appreciate it. And check out the show notes for any resources I've mentioned, including links to follow me on Instagram and join my private Facebook group where I connect with my tribe every day. I love it in there and we have so much fun. And finally, if you're ready to redefine sobriety so that you can feel excited about quitting drinking, follow the link to my 10 days to spontaneous sobriety course where I will help you eliminate, eradicate, obliterate, cancel your desire to drink because looking and feeling your best is addictive too. I'll see you soon.